praise the Lord for what he did this past year. We certainly give him all the glory, and that is why we do what we do, that he would be magnified and glorified. And this year has not been without trials, it has not been without difficulty, and yet it has been, um, it has, we have seen God's sovereignty, we have seen God work in our hearts, we have seen God bring us through all that he has brought us to, and we have seen him bring us new families, as you saw on the video, many new families this year, many people who have come to faith in Jesus Christ, many people who are walking through discipleship, and we are praying that that is just going to continue on this new year in, in new and exciting ways. And as you look around you this morning, on a snowy January morning outside and a lot of sickness going around, you see that God has filled this sanctuary with people and as we seek to continue to reach people in 2023, uh, I am excited to see what all that means for us and, and all that God allows us to witness again of, of his work for his glory. Take your Bibles this morning and we will continue our sequential study through the Gospel of Mark. Mark chapter 2 is where we are this morning and we are beginning in verse number 18. As I mentioned, it is a little bit different service today and that we will have the message and then we will share a little bit of the vision for this next year. But we're just taking our next section this morning, which covers chapter 2, verse 18, through chapter 3 and verse 6. If you remember, those of you who have been with us in chapter 1, we looked at the authority of Jesus and how his authority was on display as he worked and taught in the synagogue, as he healed, as he cast out demons. And then Last week we looked at chapter 2 verses 1 through 17 at the availability of Jesus and how that is a model for us and that he is available to all those who come to him. Uh, he is available to the outcast. He is available to the sinners. And today we're going to look at uh, this section beginning in verse number 18 at the answers of Jesus. So if you're able to stand for the reading of God's word, if you would do so. Uh, we'll begin reading in verse number 18. I'll re read aloud and you can follow along there in your Bible. Verse 18, And the disciples of John and of the Pharisees used to fast. And they come and say unto him, Why do the disciples of John and of the Pharisees fast, but the disciples fast not? And Jesus said unto them, Can the children of the bride chamber fast while the bridegroom is with them? As long as they have the bridegroom with them, they cannot fast. But the days will come when the bridegroom shall be taken away from them, and then shall they fast in those days. No man also sews a piece of new cloth on an old garment, else the new piece that, that filled it up take away from the old, and the rent is made worse." And no man puts new wine into old bottles, else the new wine doth burst the bottles, and the wine is spilled, and the bottles will be marred. But new wine must be put into new bottles. And it came to pass that he went through the cornfields on the Sabbath day, and his disciples began, as they went, to pluck the ears of corn. And here the Pharisees come again with another question, verse 24. Behold, why do they on the Sabbath day that which is not lawful? And he said unto them, Have ye never read what David did when he had need and was hungered, he and they that were with him? 
how he went into the house of God in the days of Abathar, the high priest, and did eat the showbread, which is not lawful to eat, but for the priest, and gave also to them which were with him. And he said unto them, The Sabbath was made for man, and not man for the Sabbath. Therefore the Son of Man is Lord also of the Sabbath. And he entered again into the synagogue, and there was a man there which had a withered hand, and they watched him, whether he would heal him on the Sabbath day, that they might accuse him. And he saith unto the man which had the withered hand, Stand forth. And he said unto them, Is it lawful to do good on the Sabbath days or to do evil, to save life or to kill? But they held their peace. And when he had looked around about on them with anger, being grieved for the hardness of their hearts, he saith unto the man, Stretch forth thine hand. And he stretched it out, and his hand was restored whole as the other. And the Pharisees went forth and straightway took counsel with the Herodians against him, how they might destroy him. Father, again, this is your word. You've given us this section today for us as a church to look at and for us to examine our own hearts individually. I pray, God, that you would speak to us through your spirit this morning. I pray, God, that you would help us to come to your word with readiness of hearts and minds. I pray, God, that you would help us to come with submissive hearts and minds, surrendered to your will and to your way. Be our teacher today, we pray. Challenge us, comfort us, convict us, whatever is needed in our life. We pray that you would do that work. May we be better people when we live here, leave here, better Christians. I pray, Lord, that we would be a better church as we take to heart the principles that are given here in this text. In Christ's name we pray, amen. You may be seated. There's, there's three really different stories, three instances, three accounts that we are going to look at today. And, and in our text, the religious elite of the day, they are full of questions. And Jesus is full of answers. The, the questions, of course, are questions with intent. They aren't questions because they seriously want to learn. They want to know what Jesus is teaching. They are questions that have behind them the intent to prove that Jesus was not who he said that he was. The Pharisees were professional hair splitters, and they had been this for a long time. They had been so for centuries, and as you can see from our reading, the Pharisees and Jesus are are really in hand-to-hand combat here. They're going back and forth with each other in the text, and it reminds us that Jesus was indeed a revolutionary, and he was presenting the Jewish people with a declaration of their independence. But the Pharisees had taken the Mosaic law and they had developed from that Mosaic law what they called the generation of laws. They had added to the law man-made laws, man-made requirements that they would put on people. And so as a result, the Mosaic system had become a prison house with bars of tradition and bars of rituals and regulations that had put the Jewish people in bondage. 
And their life's mission now had, be, had become to discredit and to do away with this Jesus of Nazareth who had come claiming to be the Messiah, who indeed was the Messiah, the Son of God, who they rejected. Notice how Jesus answers them. First of all, we see in verses 18 through 22 that Jesus, Jesus answers them regarding man-made religion. Man-made religion. And the first hair-splitting question that the Pharisees bring up is a question about fasting. And here is the question. If John the baptizer's disciples are fasting and if the Pharisees' disciples are fasting, why would not the disciples of Jesus be fasting? Because while the religious of the day were fasting, the disciples of Jesus were not fasting, they were feasting. They were celebrating. They were excited. And so Jesus takes the mosaic structure and he gives them this illustration. Why aren't the disciples of Jesus conforming to the religious practices that had been handed down to them? According to the mosaic structure, fasting was required only one day of the year. And that was on the Day of Atonement. And the Pharisees had began to embellish this and make a, such a deal of it that they called for fasting not just on that day of the year, but twice a week on every Monday and every Thursday. And not only that, but they would make it a point to make sure that everyone knew that they were fasting on those days. That they were more religious than all the other people. And so they would put white dust on their faces and they would dress in old clothing and they would mope around as if to say, look at me, I have not eaten. I am am fasting. I am religious. And certainly, as they did so to many people of the day, it it was impressive. It would be as impressive as if somebody told you, I get up every morning at 3 a.m. to pray. And they do so to try to impress you that that's what they do. That's what these folks are doing. It was all about how people viewed them. It was all about the externals. However, what Jesus reminds us in this passage is that there is a difference. Listen, church, there is a difference between religion and intimacy. And the Pharisees had gladly substituted and given up the intimacy that they had for religious rituals. And when they question Jesus and his disciples in a very condemning way, Jesus goes back to the Old Testament economy and the Jewish marriage, which they would have been very familiar with, and he gives them this powerful illustration. See, when someone married then, they don't do like we do now. When someone marries now, we go away for a honeymoon. Back in this day, they didn't go away for a honeymoon. They gathered all of their close Uh, friends together and they had a week of feasting a week of celebration and so Jesus says look I am the bridegroom I am the bridegroom and as long as I am here why should there be anything except for feasting why should there be anything except for celebration When I go away, there will be a time to fast. There will be a time to mourn. And then he drives his point home by giving them two more thoughts. And he gives them these two illustrations beginning in verse number 22. First, uh, an illustration about patching up 
some clothing. And they would have understood very well what he was talking about. And what he's saying is it would have been foolish to take an old garment that needed a a patch and sew a piece of unshrunk cloth to it. Why? Because when that that unshrunk cloth is, is sewed to it and it is patched together and then it goes into the wash... What's going to happen? The the unshrunk patch that has never been washed is going to begin to shrink. That's what he says. And it is going to tear away. The old garment would then be worse than before. Wouldn't you agree? It would be worse. Here is the point. The patch that was supposed to create a solution would make an even more difficult problem. And then he gives us other illustration that has to do with wine. Wine skins were were made of goat skin. And so as fresh wine was put into the, the bag, it would begin to expand as it aged. It would give off the gases and new, new wine skins were flexible. They would move. So as the new wine was put into them, they would expand and give, the, give way to the aging wine. It would have been foolish to take an old wine skin that had become hard and brittle and put new wine into it. Why? Because as the wine would begin to expand, what would, what would happen to the wine skin? It would break. It would have no way of expansion. And so he tells them here in verse number 22 that new wine must be put into new bottles. Now, in case you are thoroughly lost, let me tell you what Jesus is saying is the point here. That Jesus Christ did not just come to dress up an old system. Jesus Christ did not come to dress up an old system that was there. He came instead to create an entirely new system. He isn't coming along to patch up the old garment, the old covenant. He is coming along to present a new garment, a new covenant. The Pharisees would you see, probably have accepted a few of Jesus' teaching. Uh, Oh, I I like that one. Let's take that one and let's patch it on to our old system. Oh, that's a pretty good one. Let's take that one and add it to what we already have. And here is what Jesus said. I did not come to patch up a new system. I have come as the sacrificial lamb to, to be the new covenant, to provide a new covenant. So he says, here is my answer regarding your man-made religion. It's no good. It's no good. Here's his answer regarding, secondly, man-made regulations. Things that people attach, attach to Christianity. Attached to Jesus. We see in verses 23 through 28 as the disciples and Jesus are walking this time through a cornfield on the Sabbath and they are hungry. Now, now here's what you need to realize that to the Pharisees, the Sabbath had become the thing that they worshipped. The Sabbath had become the thing that was holy to them. So the Pharisees come again to Jesus and they ask this question, why are your disciples doing what is not lawful on the Sabbath? Again, the problem is that the Pharisees had added to the Sabbath laws. This picking of grain was not unlawful. 
Look again at the question in verse 25 and 26. Look at it. Mark chapter 2, verse 25. And he said unto them, Have you never read what David did when he had need and was a hungered, he and they that were with him, how he went into the house of God in the days of Abathar, the high priest, and did eat the showbread, which is not lawful to eat, but for the priest, and gave also to them which were with him. Now, you have to understand this. To the Pharisees, David was their hero. David was the man that they looked to. and In fact, if you really wanted to make a connection with the Pharisees, you would give them an illustration about David. And so Jesus reminds them, he brings them back to this time where the consecrated bread or the showbread was in the holy place and it would be in the form of 12 loaves of bread and every Sabbath day they would replace the old loaves with, with the new loaves and the priest, and listen, only the priest would eat the old loaves of bread. No one else would be allowed to touch it. So when David and his men were hungry, they took those 12 consecrated loaves of bread and devoured them. However, God did not rebuke them. God did not punish them. And Jesus' point here is that David had violated this ceremonial provision. And because he had the need, it was tolerable. And now here Jesus Christ is is, is, uh, is violating a man-made regulation, and he is telling the Pharisees, listen, if your hero, David, did this, there is nothing wrong with this. And here is the problem. The Pharisees had developed so many additional regulations. The, the, the Sabbath law was there for their protection. Don't work on the Sabbath. It was there because it's not good for men to work seven days a week. It's there because God built in us a, a need for a break. However, that was the law that was given there for their protection. But know this, the Pharisees went further and further and added their own man-made regulations to that. They added 39 specific categories to this no-work law on the Sabbath day. And Jesus Christ is coming again alongside to refocus their perspective on the essentials. He is not being sacrilegious. He is not coming with a hammer and smashing the Mosaic system. He is not condemning the system, but it is time for that system to die. There are several ways, by the way, that something can die. And I want you to notice how Jesus does it. It can either be smashed, or as in the case of Christ, you can come along and allow it to fulfill itself. Let me illustrate it this way. You can take an acorn and you can destroy or kill that acorn two ways. You can either smash it with a hammer into a lot of pieces, or you can bury that acorn and what will happen? A tree. A tree will grow out of it, an oak tree. And in this way, by its death, it is fulfilled in something far more wonderful than an acorn. And the Pharisees were, in essence, worshiping the acorn. They were worshiping the Sabbath. And Jesus says, I have come to fulfill the law. I've come to, to bring this new covenant I'm going to present something that is far more wonderful, and it is called grace. Don't gather around the acorn. 
Listen, a lot of people today, rather than sitting under the shade of grace, they'd still rather worship around the acorn. Jesus says all of these man-made regulations and these man-made religions, this is why Jesus was rejected of his day. It was because, as we said last week, he was not religious enough for them. He was not what they wanted to come and confirm their religion, their religious establishment that they have built for themselves. And then thirdly and lastly, we see the third account in chapter 3 and verse 6, and it is Jesus' answer regarding man-made rituals or traditions. Again, we see Jesus in the synagogue on the Sabbath teaching. And remember, Jesus was a Jew, and, and, and he was often in the synagogue. And then Paul follows that example, doesn't he? Uh, later on, anytime he goes into a new area, where does he always go first? He always goes to the synagogue, to the Jew first. And here in verse 2, it says, they watched him. And when it says that they watched him, that word watched, In the original language, it means to to slyly look through the corner of the eye. Have you ever seen anybody do this? You know that they're not just watching you. You know that they're not just seeing you. They are watching you with an an intent. And so here are these long, bearded, robed men sitting in the synagogue. And remember, they had the best seats in the house for them. They had the best seats, the seats of prominence. And here they are, ready to accuse, ready to find fault with Jesus. And again, Jesus knows the heart of these pious, these religious Pharisees. And so before they can ask their third question, Jesus asks them a question. In verse 3, he brings everyone's attention to this man in the synagogue with a withered hand and He has him stand and he makes sure that everyone sees this encounter. And look at verse 5 if you would because we see here something very important. Two emotions that come from Jesus. Anger and grief. Righteous anger and grief. Notice why. Why was Jesus angry? Hey, if Jesus Christ, the Son of God, was angry, how many of you think we, we better know why he was angry? Lest we make him angry. Here's why he was angry. Because of the hardness of their hearts. Because on the outside, everything looked very religious. On the outside, everything looked very polished and yet on the inside they were hard-hearted this word for hardness is a word that they would have used for marble marble that was impressive marble that was finely polished marble that was expensive and these men were all these things and yet they were hard like that marble their hearts what really mattered Man looks on the outward appearance. The Bible says God looks at the heart. And certainly the outward matters because we are a witness to men and they look at that. But listen, what matters more than the outside and how polished you look is what is on and what is in your heart. What is in your heart? 
The problem was the traditions that had been developed and added would not even allow Jesus Christ to do this work of healing on the Sabbath. That's how strict, that's how many man-made rules they had added to this. One commentator wrote, they had, I think, a motto over the synagogue door for all to look up and see when they came in. It read, we've always done it this way. He says, I think that was their church logo and the logo of many still today. The problem was that the traditions, listen, the traditions had blinded them to such a degree that they could not let go of things that they had always done, even if it meant greater good by change. Do you get that? They were not willing to let go of things that they had always done, even if it meant greater good, greater gospel advancement by change. Their traditions had blinded them So that they could not see. And look in verse number 6. They left. They're furious. They were bound to the past. To the way it always was. And it was literally sapping the life right out of them. With no influence. With no glory to God. And let me just share a personal example and personal illustration of growing up in a pastor's home and now for 25 years serving in a leadership role in churches, I have watched time and time again, not as Bible doctrine, but as extra biblical tradition has trumped spiritual progress in people's life. But this is going to cause them to grow. This is going to cause us to be able to reach more people with the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ without compromising biblical principle. But no, we have not done it like that before. It's quiet in here. So easy for us, isn't it? Tonight, we're going to look at this in even a more, uh, a more clear way in Paul's teaching. As Stephen Davey said, if you worship the past, you forfeit the future. And listen, we're not saying to worship a new God. We're not saying Jesus, Jesus had come to give them something that was greater and they were holding on to something that wasn't, going, wasn't his plan, wasn't effective. And, and listen, church, we always want to honor yesterday. We always want to honor the past. We, we always want to celebrate. And listen, there are some things that should never, ever change. Amen? The, cha- the things that the Bible is very clear about. And our message should never, never change. But guess what? Times change. And methods change. You know, we don't use the flannel graph anymore in our Sunday school classes. How many of you remember those? Everybody over the age of 40. (laughs) Today we use other things to present the same message, to present the same stories. We we show videos a lot of times in our children's. Why? Because that's, that's that's how they learn. It's a new time. It is a new age. We use different methods. 
Back in the old days, Sunday afternoon, you go to Sunday school, Sunday morning, and before Sunday night, you would come to what? Training union. You would come to training union. Everybody would gather together. There would be somebody that would stand up and they would teach another lesson, a discipleship lesson. But we don't do that as much today. Now... Uh, people learn better like in small groups. And in, in, in a group of 50, they won't raise their hand and ask a question. So what do we do? We do it a little bit differently. We, we do one-on-one discipleship, one-on-three discipleship, two-on-two discipleship, so that there's more communication, more ways for learning. When I was a little boy, you know what we would do? We would drive into an apartment complex, and we would gather all the children that were outside playing and we would say come get on our bus and we're going to take you to church we might talk to their parents we might not you do that today and you would be arrested before you got to church right we don't do it the same way But we have the exact same message. And the important thing is that we not change our message of the gospel and clear biblical commands. And that we are intentional about getting the gospel to our community and helping everyone grow in their spiritual journey. Now I want you to notice the response of the Pharisees. And let us ask ourselves, if these things happen in our own life, It exposes what they were really worshiping. It exposes their true loyalty to tradition over true spiritual progress. They were angry about being exposed by Jesus. They were angry about having their real intent exposed. They began to organize a death plot for Jesus. They wanted to get rid of him. And notice this. They formed an alliance. People in churches are very good about this, aren't they? They form their groups. And it's fascinating as you study this that the the Herodians were bitter enemies of the Pharisees. They did not get along. They did not like each other. In fact, they hated each other. The Herodians wanted Herod back on the throne and, and the Pharisees wanted rid of Jesus. And so no doubt they presented Jesus as a political threat. And as a result, they joined forces to destroy Christ. From Christ's teaching, I think there's several applications that we can learn in, in closing this morning. First of all, that Christianity is a replacement, not an addition. It replaces fear with freedom. It replaces fasting. In this case, it replaced fasting with feasting. Christianity is intended place. 2 Corinthians chapter 5 and verse 17. Therefore, if any man be in Christ, he is a new creature. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things are become new. Don't add Christ to your life. Listen, if you have a religious past, but you've never put your trust and your faith in Christ, you can't just add Christ to your religion and think that will do. You have to, you have to get rid of those things, bury those things, say I'm not trusting in religion I am trusting in Jesus Christ alone alone he's not to be added to and secondly Christianity Christianity's focus isn't in the past it it lives for the future 
We're looking for the soon come of coming of the Lord Jesus. We're to occupy till he comes. Let me remind us something. If God was done, it would be over. That's deep, isn't it? If God was done, it would be over. It's not over. He's not done. He still wants to use us. I thank God for Martin Luther's idea. Who, when he came up with this idea, he was considered a heretic. You know what the idea was? Congregational singing. I don't know about you, but I'm thankful he came up with the idea. It's given us a little practice for heaven, isn't it? I'm thankful for William Carey, who came up with a brand new idea. Foreign missions. It wasn't brand new because it's in the Bible, but he went to India without any support from the religious world. Nobody believed in it. And it changed world missions. I thank God for William Tyndale and John Wycliffe who gave their lives for a new idea, translating the Bible in English. Aren't you thankful for that? Who in their language said that a plowboy could understand it. I thank God for C.T. Studd who shook the complacency of the Anglican church when he wrote, Some wish to live within the sound of church or chapel bell. I want to run a rescue shop within a yard of hell. No support from them. No support from the religious elite. I'm thankful for new ideas. Not new doctrines, but new ideas. Not a vacillation on the things that are important, but for the opportunity to live for the future without worshiping the past. And today I want you to evaluate your own walk, your own spiritual journey. First of all, in regards to salvation, has there ever been a time when you've put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ alone? I don't care how many Sunday school badges you have, how many times you've been to Mass, how many times you've taken communion, how many, how many traditions, rituals. I don't care if you're wearing a three-piece suit this morning. Where have you put your faith and trust in? Alone for eternal salvation. As Christians, a simple question is, Are we allowing the way we've always done it to keep us from doing it the way that God wants us to do it? Are we willing to give up things that I like, things that I'm used to, preferences that I have for the sake of the gospel? And as I said, we'll talk about that more, a little bit more tonight. But I'm thankful that Jesus Christ is still in the life-changing business, aren't you? And I want to be a part of it. I want to be a part of it. Let's bow our heads and close our eyes this morning for just a moment. Is Matt, Matt, if you'll just come and play. We don't need to sing anything this morning, but may not even give a formal invitation. But how many of you 
would be here this morning and you would say, there's no question in my mind if I were to leave here this morning and something were to happen to me in an instant out on the road and my life here on, on this earth was over, there's no doubt in my mind, I am confident, I am assured that I will wake up in the presence of God. Would you raise your hand? I know that for sure. I know that for sure. You can put your hands down. If you don't know that, the Bible says that you can know. He says in 1 John that we may know that we have eternal life. And this morning, if you've never put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ alone for salvation, he offers you to do that today. How many of you would say, I'll be honest, I'm not sure that if I were to die today that I would spend an eternity in heaven but I want to know. Would you just raise your hand? That's me. I don't know, but I would like to know. Anyone? I see that hand. Anyone else this morning? I don't know, but I would like to know. I see that hand. Anyone else? Those of you that raised your hand, no one else is looking, but would you just look up here for just a moment? Let me just tell you that Jesus Christ came to give you the greatest gift ever, and that is the gift of salvation. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever, you, me, whosoever believeth in him, we would not perish but have everlasting life. We're all sinners, all sin and come short of the glory of God. The wages of sin is death, eternal separation from God, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. And then Romans 10, 9 and 10 says this. That if you believe in your heart that Jesus died and rose again, and you confess him with your mouth, you shall be saved. So right now, right where you are, in fact, you can just pray a prayer. And I want to help you. The, The words will not save you. But if you'll pray this from your heart to the Lord, he'll save you right now, right where you are. And what you're saying is that I'm turning from my sin and and I'm turning from my faith in other things and I'm putting my faith in Jesus Christ alone for eternal salvation. I believe he died for my sins and I believe he rose from the grave. So right now, right where you're seated, if you'll just bow your head and from your heart, if you will pray a prayer, Jesus, I know that I'm a sinner. I know that what I deserve for that sin is eternal separation from you, hell. But I accept today your gift of salvation. And I am turning from my sin. I'm turning from my faith in religion. And I'm putting my faith in Jesus Christ alone. I trust you. Be merciful to me, a sinner. Give you my heart and my life to serve you. In Jesus' name.